The Recovery Greenhouse is a podcast dedicated to the growth of ideas, concepts, and outlooks that support recovery and recovering communities. I'm Gerald Lott, your host and a person in long-term recovery. I'm also founder and executive director of Sauk Valley Voices of Recovery, a recovery community organization serving Northwest Illinois. I'm a certified recovery support specialist, an entrepreneur, a father, and you know, after a long list of careers, I found my calling in helping others to find recovery. I work with many, many people and several addiction-related advisory boards every day, and my core belief is that people must make an effort to change their lives for recovery. The saying, no pain, no gain, is exactly correct. A person cannot experience significant life changes without enduring, accepting, often welcoming discomfort. It isn't the change that hurts, it's our resistance to it. Um, I want to add something to that. I know how I got sober. Uh, I've been sober for a while now. Um, And I use 12 steps. But I also recognize that there's other movements afoot. We just had our our annual conference here, uh, RecoverCon, and we saw people with, you know, various ideas about how to get sober or to stay in recovery, be it harm reduction, conscious recovery, uh, reclaiming the brain, um, not worrying about the the symptom, but getting to the deep-seated trauma and, and, you know, adverse childhood experiences, etc. And, you know, I support them all, to be honest with you. Um, I know what worked for me. I often jokingly say, you know, I support all paths to recovery, even if, you know, your path is spinning around in the backyard saying magic words. If it gets you sober, I'm with it. And, you know, if you if you look at the SAMHSA, uh, Substance Abuse Mental Health uh, Services Administration of the federal government, if you look at their description or their definition of recovery, it never says anything about abstinence. It says, you know, people working towards a more fulfilled life and living, you know, with better wellness in their life. And so, you know, if you, if you start working with a guy who's smoking crack five times a week and after working with him, he's smoking crack one time a week, it's progress, right? But that's a whole different tangent. So I want I wanted to explain to you guys where my uh, guest and I met and the circumstances and just so you know in uh, 2019 i was in las vegas for a completely unrelated uh event and i happened upon a conference called mobilize recovery and being in recovery i I asked about it and what i found out was that it was uh basically a conference of recovery community organizations and advocates it was uh, put together by a gentleman named Ryan Hampton. You may have heard that name. Ryan uh, wrote a couple of different books on the opioid crisis. Um, I believe one was American Fix, and the other one was uh, Illicit. I'll look those up while I'm talking. But uh, Ryan went on to put together a movie called... Uh, Faces Across America, I believe. I, I really, I probably should have all of 
Ryan's uh, history a little better before I start talking about him. So Ryan had put together the Recovery Advocacy Project. He He's doing this conference once a year. Ryan had been uh, part of Barack Obama's cabinet or his staff. I'm not really sure how high up Ryan got. Um, he became the uh, delegate for his state at the Democratic Convention. This is all part of his movie. Uh, Facing Addiction Across America was the name of the movie. Now It just jumped in my head. But anyway, so this is a really politically connected guy. And Mobilized Recovery is one of the premier uh, recovery conferences in the country, right? It's not a just, oh, you know, I want to go, so I pay my ticket. You have to apply to go. And they select people. They select about four or 500 people. Um, last year, they did something a little different. They took it on the road. And so they had this bus tour all over the country. And they stopped in, I think, all 50 states. Um, I had the pleasure of being able to speak at one of the bus stops. Um, you know, and um, it's, pretty, it's, a pretty, it's a big deal. And so uh, this year I went to recovery, to mobilize recovery in Washington, D.C. Um, there's, you know, all the big names there, you know. The the first uh, gentleman, uh, Vice President Harris's husband, Doug Emhoff, was there. Raul Gupta from Office of National Drug Policy. Uh, people from SAMHSA. Uh, people from the White House, people from uh, all these amazing, amazing, amazing uh, organizations all over the country. And, and I was quite honored to be one of the few people from the state of Illinois selected to go. Um, and as you know, you're sitting around with these 400 just movers and shakers in the world of recovery I got to know some of them. I got to sit down and talk to them, have a, have a meal, or you know, just spend some uh, some some quality time. We had improv meeting, you know, support meetings, and we went for walks around D.C. and uh, you know, sat in the, the restaurant and ate breakfast together with these people. And some of the conversations were just so impactful. Um, so over the next few months, I'm hoping that I will be able to bring you more conversations with people that I've met at Mobilize and uh, share what's going on around the country. Um, my first guest that I'm going to bring for Mobilize is a woman who I met. Uh, her name is Stephanie Campbell and Stephanie is a very outgoing, very confident, very, very intelligent woman who uh, is the type of person that will walk up to you in, in, in a crowded room like that and just, you know, introduce herself and, and you know, ask you what, what your, your, your contribution to this whole thing is. I, I met her, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine named Chad, who runs Recovery Homes, and uh, we were just standing there talking, and Stephanie walked up and asked 
what we thought about parity laws and insurance. And uh, that sparked quite a conversation. So I, I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you. I have to apologize. The, uh, the uh, audio is pretty bad. Hers is really good. Mine is bad. I was traveling when we recorded this. Her time is very limited, so I had to take what I could get. And so I was on the scene of our RecoverCon conference while they were setting it up, speaking uh, through earbuds. But the truth is, what I'm saying is, is irrelevant. This is a very, very accomplished woman um, and a very, very intelligent woman and a person in long-term recovery. So uh, this episode is brought to you by Mama Semino's uh, right there on Peoria in Dixon. And uh, I, I hope that uh, you enjoy my conversation with Stephanie Campbell of New York. She's with Kent Strategic Advisors. Uh, here's the conversation. So my guest today is a friend that I met just recently at Mobilize Recovery. Um, and in true recovery fashion, I was sitting in the hotel lobby talking and this woman walked up and said, who the hell are you and what do you do? And uh, it was the best thing ever. And we ended up spending quite a bit of time at the conference talking to each other and spending time together. Uh, her name is Stephanie Campbell, Senior Vice President of Kent Strategic uh, Advisors uh, out of New York. Um, and for those of you that don't know what Kent Strategic Advisors does, you are just like me. So uh, Stephanie is the person in long-term recovery and an amazingly wonderful person that I enjoyed spending time with. So, hey, Stephanie, how's it going? Good, good, Gerald. I'm so happy to see you and to be able to connect with you. Um, it was a wonderful um it was a wonderful meeting that we had and you're right in true recovery style you know we get to stick our hand out to each other not knowing each other and connect with the language of the heart you know that's what we do in recovery so um really grateful for that opportunity well you didn't know me but you knew me <laughs> right you're like, like i know him <laughs> i don't know his name but i know that dude so so yeah so what is kent strategic advisors uh, so I was um, asked by my former um, boss, uh, who was the general counsel for the Office of uh, Addiction Services and Supports in New York, which is the state agency that's uh, responsible for oversight and licensure of addiction services uh, and recovery services in New York State. Um, he left uh, back in 2020. 20, 2020, um, and went to the White House to be the general counsel of ONDCP. Um, he did that for a while. I stayed in New York um, doing what he had hired me to do initially, which was to be the director of the first in the nation uh, ombudsman office to get folks access to treatment and recovery and harm reduction services uh, statewide. Mm -hmm. And um, and then um, he asked me if I wanted to join him um, with his company uh, in doing national drug policy for, you know, um, uh, addiction um, and uh, and mental health care. And I said, sure, 
<laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so we do a national work um, on um, on drug policy for uh, prevention, treatment, recovery, and harm reduction um, uh, services and supports. Uh, we, you know, our clients are providers. Uh, they are, you know, different um, companies that are, you know, really working to get uh, good quality care. Uh, and resources to our community, as well as we provide um, uh, strategic, um, you know, support to um, other entities that that need outside of um, the provider space uh, that need um, our expertise on uh, on these issues. Awesome. So when we first got on, I, I noticed in the background there, and and the people at home can't see this because we're all audio, but you've got these gorgeous pin uh, documents. I forgot what you said it was. It was a pin. What What is it called? Oh, I have pen certificates. Pen um, certificates from yeah. the laws that you help put together. <laughs> Can yeah. you kind of, what are some of those laws? Oh my goodness. So, um, so I helped uh, write the, the draft legislation for the first opioid um, uh, manufacturers uh, search uh, stewardship bill here in New York state. We were the first in the country to actually propose that opioid manufacturers pay a small percentage uh, of every uh, opioid um, product that they manufacture and that those, uh, and that that revenue goes to um prevention, treatment, and recovery um, support services uh, for, for our folks. Um, that's currently on appeal, uh, as you can imagine. The manufacturers mm -hmm. weren't, weren't, weren't happy to hand over uh, their money without a fight, so that's still in the courts. But we did get it signed into law, which was uh, really amazing. Um, there was also changes to the insurance law uh, in that, um, you know, folks with a diagnosis a diagnosis of a, a substance use disorder uh, would not have to have prior authorization to go into treatment or to get their medication. That was a huge win for us because, as you know, a lot of our folks um, end up dying in parking lots and at home uh, as they're waiting for the insurance companies to um, approve uh, prior right. when that's when that's required. So we don't do that here in New York State. Um, we also changed our name. The agency, uh, when I first started working there, um, they were um, called the um, Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services. We didn't like that word abuse. So we changed the name to uh, Office of Addiction Services and Supports to make it less stigmatizing. Um, and that's a that's a New York office. You're, you're New York, that's our New York yeah. State uh, single state agency. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, another law was we wanted to uh, ensure that uh, physicians here in New York State uh, took training on opioid um, and addictions, uh, that they understood the population that they were that they were licensed to care for. So mm -hmm. we wanted that they uh, take a certain number of um, uh, hours on uh, addiction training uh, here in New York State. So uh, we worked on that for about ten years, and we finally got uh, we finally got that. Um, other laws, 
<laughs> you you got so many you can't remember. We have a few. Awesome. We have a few. But those but those are but those are some of the ones that um you know I'm I'm really uh, proud that we were able uh, to do another another one uh, that you know was we we wanted to make sure that um, we created um, a diagnostic um, a shared diagnostic criteria between the insurance plans and the providers. So, for mm-hmm. example, if I go in. Um, you know, the locator is the tool, the assessment tool that's used here in New York state. Um, and actually I was just on a call with, um, with our, um, uh, with our state regulator of the, of the out of state insurance plans. And we wanted to make sure that the locator was being used by out of state external appeal reviewers to make sure Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, the stringent criteria that we have here in New York state is applied, um, to plans, uh, that may be out of state, uh, but but are serving New Yorkers. So um, so that you know that plan included that you couldn't just arbitrarily say you know uh, you get seven days of treatment, right? Like it had to right. be, that there had to be um, you know concurrent review that was being done while you were in treatment, but you couldn't be limited to seven days. It, it had to be twenty eight days um, that you were. Um, you know, uh, that, that you could have in inpatient treatment. Uh, so that was another big win for us. Um, so yeah, lots those, of, lots those, of- are, those are huge. Those are huge. You know, those are huge. And, and so I guess, you know, for, for a guy like me, who, you know, I got enough knowledge to be dangerous in a lot of, a lot of uh, categories, you know, how, how does an idea become a law? How does, how does one, you know, where are you, where are you when you say we want to limit how the, this particular way that the drug, you know, the insurers are handling the seven or 28 days? How does that go from an idea to being signed into law and, and, and on your wall? Um, hmm. <laughs> I know that's a huge question. Question. It's a it's a it's a good question. Um, so do you ever, um, did you ever see Schoolhouse Rock? And that, I'm just the bill. Yes, I'm only a bill and I live on top of Capitol Hill, right? So it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like that, right? Like there's an idea in, and I teach at NYU. I teach, uh, I teach SUD policy at NYU and I teach my public health students, like, you know, as advocates, um, you know, advocating for the public good, you know, we, we may have a wonderful idea, but we also have to, there has to, and I wrote an article on this too, that was published um, a couple of years ago on the intersectionality between activism, you know, and the recovery community and Mm -hmm. public health officials, right? Like we know what we need, right? Especially for those of us in recovery, we're involved in all kinds of grassroots, you know, connections and in community, um, resources and and we have lived experience right and the value of lived right. experience is absolutely crucial in creating you know um um you know bills that um uh that that are going to be useful in either you know changing uh the way things are done or getting funding to um you know to entities that really need them uh, or changing, you know, in terms of regu- you know, regulatory reform, like being able to have right. people at the table who can really guide well-meaning bureaucrats to do the right thing, 
right? Okay. So, so can you play along? That with got me? you. That got you going. <laughs> you, yeah. Well, first of all, let me say my guest today is is Stephanie Campbell from Kent Strategic Advisors, a uh, New York. Uh, would we call you a lobbying firm, or or no? Would you, we're a national. You... We're a national strategic firm on on drug policy um, issues. Okay. There you go. So. I live in a rural area about 100 miles outside of Chicago. Mm-hmm. The closest Medicaid uh, treatment centers and detox are an hour, hour and a half away. And so our organization has almost made a full-time job out of taking people that have Medicaid, helping them find a bed, and then driving them there. Mm. So, so I, Gerald, come along and I say, Stephanie, I think there needs to be a law that the state has to make sure there's a detox and treatment center for uninsured or Medicaid in every county. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what happens next? So you're talking about, and this is something I was just on, I was just speaking with some folks on, um, you know, what we call network adequacy um, that, 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 you know, there, there's been, there's been a lack of parity between physical and surgical benefits that people um, are are sort of you know uh, receive through their insurance plans, whether it's a commercial plan, a private insurer, or a public insurer like a, a state you know Medicaid plan, right? Medicaid managed care plan, and so um, so there's there's certain criteria that has to be in order for MIPIA, right? So the Mental Health um, Addiction uh, Equity Act, um, mm-hmm. a number of years ago, and Carol, um, who was at our, you may have known her uh, or, or may have seen her before, but she was at the conference. She was at Mobilized Recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was one of the, you know, she was the lobbyist for that bill um, with, with then Senator Patrick Kennedy. And, and what they were saying was the addiction community and the mental health community aren't receiving services on par with the medical, um, the physical health docs, right? And the and the, uh-huh. and the benefits that go along with physical health. So one of the things that we're really pushing for is to make sure that there's a geographic, um, you know, there's availability you know, geographically, so that no matter where you are, you don't have to drive more than 30 minutes or th- or 30 miles to have access to good quality care. You shouldn't have to drive 100 miles to, right. you know, the nearest city if you're on Medicaid. That's, you know, that's discriminatory against people with, you know, uh, you know, without the means to have, um, you know, private insurance. And by the way, private insurance doesn't treat our people all that well either. Right. Right. But that's that's where we're, that's where we're at. So so let's let's say we I got a bunch of people together and we all came to you and said, Stephanie, we want to make sure that the state has to. We mm-hmm. want to compel the state. They mm-hmm. have to make sure that's available. Mm-hmm. What would our what would our first or next step be? Uh so this is after you would hire me and I would say, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. I would, I would advise you to first, um, you know, uh, we would need to find out who are the state regulators for the insurance companies. Right. And then we would need to engage in some conversations with them around, you know, the deficiencies that currently exist in 
in parity in their state, right? So if you're having to drive, you know, a hundred miles to get to a, you know, um, in-network um, addiction or mental health provider, but you've got 10 cardio um, docs, you know, in, you know, in a 30 mile um, in-network radius, then there's a lack of parity between your behavioral health and your um, primary health um, providers. You see what I'm saying? So we would be able to point out those disparities, right? We would also make sure that we have data on, so how many people, you know, are trying to, you know, get access to care who are unable to get access to care? Where are the pocket, where are these pockets of people, right? Are there, Mm -hmm. you know, is there a a state agency that, um, and of course there's a state agency that's tasked with ensuring that people get access to care. Well, where are they with, with, you know, with this issue and awareness with issue? Can we set up a meeting to have a conversation with them and say, you know, these are uh, our concerns and we need, you know, uh, to create, you know, a, a better system that, that, that can, you know, help folks access care. So we need to identify and look at, you know, where there are these disparities in, in your Mm -hmm. area and then who are the who who are the government entities um, who we can partner with to bring about um, you know changes and and we can look at other states and what they've done right like you know what has New York done that might be replicated so that you don't have to you know reinvent the wheel can can we as advocates you know um, look to other states which have been able to you know address some of these issues in a way that our state is still trying to catch up on or our region is still trying to catch up on so then you're so my simplistic thinking is I get a bunch of petition signed you know we want this and then I you know march up to Capitol Hill and I corner some state rep and it sounds like it's much more scientific it's much more data driven um that there's a a, it it sounds like schoolhouse rock only gave me the 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 ten thousand foot view yeah and i think you know it's a multi-pronged approach right you want to have the data and it's not just about data our stories have power we know this as people in recovery who are doing you know part of the national recovery movement and even our state and local uh, recovery movements. When we when we get to know and build relationships with our local officials, you know, and we can go to them and say, "Hey, you know, you know, we we're really having difficulty um, getting folks um, the care that they need. How can we help you? Because you represent us, so we can help you. You know, um, we can share you know our stories of recovery, but also you know sh- bring people." in who've had some difficulties accessing care. I'll tell you another big um, uh, advocacy group to that, that, that works very well with the recovery community is the parents who've lost their kids because mm. they know what the system did not provide and it costs, and they had to pay the ultimate price, which is that they lost their loved ones, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you can get them to help, you know, because the folks in recovery, we sort of, you know, we, we, we can talk about what worked. We can also talk about what didn't work, but we can talk about like what worked and how we got better. And then, you know, we can bring in the folks that lost, you know, their loved ones to say, and this is what happens 
uh, you know, when the when the system uh, does not do what it's supposed to do. So you know, it, it's really interesting to me that you know what I'm going to do something. I'm going let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll we'll, we'll dive in because I want to get to why this is important to you. So again, my guest Stephanie Campbell from Kent Strategic Advisors. Hey everybody, this episode of The Recovery Greenhouse is sponsored by Mama Samino's, an Italian-American restaurant located at 104 South Peoria Avenue in Dixon, Illinois. Believe me, Mama Samino's has your lunch and dinner covered. Enjoy Italian favorites like pizza, spaghetti, ravioli, and more. Mama Samino's also includes gluten-free pizza, pasta, and chicken strips. They have a lunch buffet available Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. for just $6.99. $6.99. To make it as easy as possible for you to get your favorite meal, you can have them deliver your order, join them for dining, or you can pick it up. You need space for a private event? Look no further. Call them today to reserve their event ballroom. Mama Samino's opens at 11 a.m. Monday through Sunday. Come visit Mama Samino's. No one cooks like Mama. 104 South Peoria Avenue in Dixon, Illinois. We're back. Back with my guest, Stephanie Campbell. Um, Stephanie, you know, you've clearly clearly given everyone an idea that you're an expert in this field. No one is going to listen to this and not hear the intelligence and the, the 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 pedigree. But why does this matter to you? And and you and I had some conversations when we were in DC and I remember looking at this very distinguished, amazing to me superhero of a woman. And some of the things you said was like, oh my God, she was with me when we were out having a hard time. And so tell me your you know why does all this matter to you? Hmm. Well, it's personal. It's deeply personal. I mean, I remember, you know, I left home at a very young age, um, you know, having, uh, you know, come from a family uh, riddled with addiction uh, and mental health. And and essentially, I was on my own at 15. Um, I picked up drugs as a coping strategy uh, to deal with that pain. Um you know, I ended up uh, transporting, you know, some things that had I gotten caught, uh, I would probably still be in jail, uh, you know, uh, but, um, you know, my plan was to uh, have enough money to put down a down payment for an apartment in New York City. Uh, When I left Florida, that was the plan. And, um, and of course, I, you know, don't get uh, hooked on your own supply, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. so I ended up, uh, you know, um, getting decompensating very quickly. And um, by the time I was 20 years of age, I was I was homeless. I was, you know, um, engaging in sex work. I was doing whatever I could to stay alive. Um, and um, and someone reached into the gutter and pulled me out and gave me the message of hope. And right I, on. For me, um, you know, that's that that was uh, life changing, and mm-hmm. you know, and it, it and I took a kind of a harm reduction approach because at the time I wasn't even legal, you know, to drink, so drugs were a lot easier for me to. to get <laughs> right. 
to get my paws on. Uh, so I stopped, you know, I stopped using drugs. And I often say, you know, AA was the first harm reduction community that I was exposed to because they knew that I was still using drugs during the meeting. I would go into the bathroom, I'd hook up, and then I'd come back out. And nobody ever said to me, you have to leave. Or no one ever said to me, or no one ever shamed me, or no one ever blamed me. They just said things like, let us love you until you learn how to love yourself, you know, right. and stay with us as long as you can. You know, that's what they told me. Uh, and they were very kind to me. So, you know, um, so I slowly, um, you know, I my, my first um, exposure to advocacy, um, I was going to AA meetings at the... Um, at the uh, lesbian and gay um, center in New York city on 13th street. And there was a group called act up. Um, this yeah. was, this was yeah, in, those guys. Yeah. in 80, 89. And so I started going to those meetings. I was a young queer kid, you know, in early recovery and they were, um, you know, they were all riled up and and it was my people, right? Like these were, you know, intravenous drug users, sex workers, people who were addicted, you know, uh, the BIPOC community, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the LGBTQ community, like we were all, we were society's, you know, disregards, right? <laughs> we were the people, but we were dying from this disease that even the doctors, um, and, and, in and public health was not, you know, they weren't doing anything to keep us alive. So we had to, we had to educate them. We had to push for medications to help keep us alive. We had to, you know, we had to break the stigma. We had to challenge mm -hmm. the stigma and discrimination. And by the way, you know, clean needle exchanges and, you know, housing and employment and all of the things that we fought for during, you know, ACT UP, those are recovery support services, the same things that we're fighting now, right? Right, right. Take to your appointments, right? Like, you know, a safe place to live, you know, um, preventative measures, right? You know, like all of the things, but it was the advocates, it was the people who had the lived experience who were able to push public health and government to do the right thing. And the pharmaceutical companies to do the right thing and the insurance companies to do the right thing, right? We mm -hmm. had the power, we shared our stories and, and, and we built those relationships. Well, the same thing now during the overdose uh, epidemic where, you know, our numbers keep going up, we keep losing people. And for many of the same reasons that we lost people during the AIDS epidemic, number one, because it's easy to hate on people who are addicted, right? Mm -hmm. And who's, Very the, much so. you know, what's the first line of, you know, attack? Oh, it's those, you know, it's those junkies. It's those, you know, it's those people's yeah. fault, right? They brought it on themselves. And of course, we know that that's not true, that we have um, a medical condition that requires treatment like any other condition, you know? And so, um, you know, so part of that, you know, the power of that advocacy and then, and then the, you know, when we bring in people who allies, you know, it's not just those of us with lived experience, but it's, it's people who like, you know, have heart either. Maybe they knew somebody, you know, in their community or something, you know, brought them into a realization that our population deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. And that actually it is a cost benefit Right. Like mm -hmm. when people invest in recovery, when government and, you know, and the private sector invest in recovery, our people deliver tenfold. 
Our people yeah. like want to go to work. You know, when we're given an opportunity to um, go to school, I mean, I, you know, neither one of my parents graduated high school. I'm the first person in my family to graduate high school. Nobody went to college. I went to college. I got three graduate degrees. You know, I have That's a career. Great. I, you know, I, you know, took the, you know, took the opportunities that were given to me because it means something to me. And I think also that there's a real, um, there's a real appreciation that we have from being snatched from the jaws of death and being yes. given the opportunity yes. to live a life, you know, um, second. We, to we don't take it for granted. We, we don't, don't take it for granted. You know, no, I recognize that everything I have is, is, is so, you know, in, in, in New Orleans where I went to school, they called it lanyap, right? It's extra. It, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't it wasn't promised right it was the 13th donut <laughs> you know what i'm saying uh, and um and, and i'm just i'm i'm extremely grateful and i and i i see people i grew up with that maybe haven't been where we've been and they just expect that life is going to be good and you know they expect that and when it when it isn't they're they're very uh they get they get down. I, I often tell people, you know how AA talks about it's a one day at a time program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For me, it's two days, right? I've got. He's saying that. Yes. Yeah, I've got I've got today, mm-hmm. and I've got April seventeenth of two thousand eight, which was the last day I drank, and and on that day, I asked God to kill me mm-hmm. because I couldn't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I always look at something and say, well, is this day that bad? Because if today isn't that bad, then I can pray, probably make it through, mm. you know? And, and so, you know, that's what I've been, and, and in that time, you know, my dad has died. Um, you know, I've lost jobs, lost loved ones, you know, relationships crumbled, you know, had financial worries, all those things. And never once did I say, man, this is so bad. I wish God would just evaporate me like, like the Thanos snap, you know, but. um, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, we, we, we have a path to, you know, no matter what life throws at us, we have a path to stability. You know, we learn how to take what life gives us and, um, you know, and the, and the same thing that you describe, you know, I've, I've had life, life gives what it gives. And I remember when I was 15 years back into recovery in 2015, my daughter overdosed. Oh, wow. And I had a, I had this deal with God. I was talking about this the other day in a meeting. I had this deal with God, right? And the deal was this, you can throw whatever you want at me in terms of me, like, you know, you can take you know, husbands away, wives away, whatever, like, you know, you can take jobs away, you can, um, uh, whatever you throw at me, but don't mess with my kids, right? Mm-hmm. Deal. You mess with my kids and all bets are off. And when I ran into that emergency uh, department and Ken's, I saw Ken's on a gurney and she was still alive, you know, I had this realization that you know, what a narcissistic deal for me to have with God, right? Like this kid, you know, and I thought I had cheated, um, you know, the disease, right? Because my kids, both my kids grew up in, in AA 
in NA, they, you know, I talk to them about the disease of addiction, you know, all of that. Um, and yet, um, you know, and yet I had a kid who overdosed, right? So, you know, and that kid is alive and she's in college today and, you know, it's been a bumpy ride, but she's, she's got her own path. So life does present what it presents and we don't get to cheat the disease in, in the way that it shows up, you know, um, even when we get into recovery, but we get tools, we get tools mm -hmm. and we have each other. Absolutely. Life gets lifey, someone once said. Yes. You know? So so what an amazing story. You know, the theme of our, our annual conference this year is uh, fighting stigma by rewriting our stories. And, you know, if you think of where you were and where you are, if you think of where I was and where I am, I mean, what more do we have to say to somebody to let them know that they shouldn't give up on Uncle Phil or, you know, their their nephew, Tim, or whatever, you know. Great things could be ahead for this person if they get there, you know, if they get there. I, I, I don't know. I, I and every day that they're alive is another day that they have with us, you right. know, another day of hope, right? So it's like, you know, the, the destigmatization of this disease comes with normalizing the fact that like other chronic conditions, you know, it's not a linear, recovery is not linear. I mean, there are days and I've got, I just celebrated 23 years back, right? In recovery. Right on, right on, good for you. There are, there are days when I am not my best self. <laughs> I mean, I think I told you right before we, you know, we got on this interview, I, Typical alcoholic thinking, right? I go and I, I'm like, okay, I've got to get my COVID. I got to get my COVID shot. Okay, I'm going to schedule my COVID shot. Oh, but while I'm here, I might as well get my flu shot. Oh, but wait. And then there's the shingles shot that I've been hearing everybody talk about. Why don't I schedule that too? So I go to the pharmacist and I say, hey, can I get all these three shots at once? And the pharmacist says to me, well, that's going to be a lot. Do you sure you want to do three at once? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, why not? And he says, all right. And he gives me <laughs> three shots and I go home and I'm like, oh, that was easy. And then I am flattened. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I'm on the couch, you know, I'm in a fog. I feel like I have the flu. I'm like, you know, I've got deadlines that I have to do. And, um, but in pure alcoholic fashion, you know, more is better, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a process. <laughs> I'm I'm actually I'm getting ready for this conference, so I'm gonna have to jump off and, and I, I so adore talking to you and I hope we can do it much more and and believe me, I'm gonna I'm gonna lobby in my town for the people that I know that are looking to uh, make the state put a, a treatment center in our area to get in touch with you and uh I'm and, happy and, uh, to whatever yeah. information I have, I'm I'm happy to share. Please, please know how much I appreciate it that we got to meet and and, and and spend some time together. And I know that we will be seeing each other at further conferences and, and yeah. events because yeah, that's but we where are, this thing's happening. I think I think we have an opportunity um, nationally to get recovery support services paid for. So let's let's um, continue this conversation for sure. And Absolutely. good luck with your conference. Absolutely. So everybody, this has been my best 
Stephanie Campbell from Kent Strategic Advisors. Um, and, you know, uh, I guess I keep saying from Kent Strategic Advisors, but the real important part is she's a person in long-term recovery, showing us what life looks like when you actually grab recovery and run with it. And I'm just so happy that I got a chance to make her acquaintance. Thank you. And, um, you know, guys, if you're out there and you need help, just, just, you know, as I always say, you know, ask somebody, don't do it alone. You know, call the church, call a hospital, call the police department, call a friend, go stand on the corner and yell, I'm losing my mind. Just do something. And if you can't find someone where you are, call me, um, uh, you know, look up our website, svvor.org or call our number 779-707-0151. And we'll try from where we are to help you where you are. Um, nobody needs to die. Nobody needs to die. So I want to thank my guest, Stephanie, for being on here, taking the time. And I want to thank Flying Music Group for the music and NRG Media for the airtime and, you know, all the other partner organizations we work with. This uh, podcast is produced by me and I'm doing my best, so leave me alone. And, um, you know, the, uh, the rest of the world is, is doing what they do and so let's all just try to take care of one another so until next time uh, take care so that's the end of that and uh, I'll chop that up probably this weekend it won't get on the air this week it'll probably be next week but 